last week, gentlemen, what is on the table today? Pastor Wade, um, what do we have on the table today, Doc? Well, listen, when we, when we were planning, we talked about the fact that we need to share every aspect of ministry. And one of the aspects of ministry that even among us as hosts is the chaplaincy. Hmm. And so we wanted to talk about the chaplaincy. And so we are, we are here to share information on the chaplaincy ministry and also to dispel any myths about the chaplaincy mm -hmm. ministry. So we're, we're excited to have this show today as we invite our chaplain, our, our colleagues in ministry to join with us and share. Awesome. I'm looking forward to it. So that's what's on the table today. Adventist Chaplaincy Ministry. Dr. Henry, um, who's on the menu? I mean, who's at the table today? <laughs> hey, listen. <laughs> well, let me tell you who's, who's at the table today. We have William Cork, the Assistant Director wow. of Adventist Chaplaincy Ministries what? for the North American Division. Uh, he is a man with a passionate love for Jesus Christ. Uh, he spent some years there and um, as a, in the National Guard, U.S. Army Reserve, and just done a lot of things in there. In fact, um, if you want to be endorsed, you kind of got to go through him, you know, oh, as a he's chaplain. A man. So, okay. <laughs> so he's a man. So I know a little bit about Mr. Uh, Pastor William Cork. All right. And then right next to him, we have, I tell you, the lady that I'm about to introduce now is just a passionate person for Jesus, Elizabeth Marine. I have the privilege of uh, kind of working with her a little bit while I was doing my CP over there in Shawnee Mission and uh, she came in on as a chaplain she has experience the people love her and um, so she is a staff chaplain there at the Shawnee Mission uh, Hospital or Advent Health Hospital there in the Kansas City area actually in Shawnee uh, Kansas and so she is on today as well Wow, that's awesome. Can I bring him on? Is it time? Can we bring him in? Let's, let's yeah. bring them on. Let's that's right. On. All right. Here we go. There they are. We are excited to have each of you with us today. Um, Liz, I just got a, uh, a note on a, on a share. Somebody said, hey, that's my sister. And that was Gio. Um, I don't know if I'm pronouncing his name right. Uh, we have met a couple of times and we've talked and been actually in a, in a Zoom meeting together. But um, I didn't know that you were his sister when we met. But we are happy to have both of you with us today. We're going to have a word of prayer. I'm going to ask, uh, oh, we've got uh, the Roger stand in. Let's... Uh, Let's, uh, we weren't sure if you were going to be there, Rod, so we uh, we had to make sure hey, that... Uh, I understand. I understand. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, but listen, let's have a word of prayer, and then we're going to um, give our guests an opportunity to greet the audience. Father, be with us now as we share in these next few moments. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 All right. So we did not share a whole bunch uh, about our guest today, but we'd like to give you an opportunity to address our audience, to share with them anything that you'd like. Um, maybe a little bit more about where you are, what you're doing, how long you've been doing it, et cetera. Um, let's start with uh, uh, Bill. Um, let's start with Bill and then we will move to Elizabeth. I got strict instructions on that order on last night and I am following directions. <laughs> <laughs> And 
good afternoon and happy Sabbath and good to see you all. Uh, and good to see some of my friends in the chat as well. Um, so I'm one of four assistant directors for Adventist Chaplaincy Ministries. I live in Houston and I cover uh, the Southwestern and Mid-America unions. And so uh, one of the things I do is work with pastors who are seeking what we call endorsement at, for chaplaincy. And so both Liz and Dion, I worked with to get them endorsed. Um, and my counterparts are Ivan Omanya on the West Coast, uh, Washington Johnson for the Southern Union and Gilda Roddy for the Northeast Lake Atlantic and Columbia Union. And we all work together under the directorship of Dr. Paul Anderson. And I've been in the office for uh, seven years now. Uh, time has just gone by really fast, mm -hmm. and it's kind of like being a ministerial director and working to support the chaplains in my region. And I have a hundred uh, in my region that I work with. So that's a little bit about me. My background's both military, as well as uh, you talked about public campus ministry. I've done a lot of that over the years. Um, so that's who I am. <laughs> All right. Glad to have you again. Um, yes. And so glad you took the time to come and hang out with us here at the PRT today. Um, Elizabeth, uh, go ahead. And the time. Oh, I forgot. I was supposed to give you all a, a set amount of time. I think it was like forty nine point seven seconds. Um, I don't know if Bill <laughs> left some of his time on the table, but we're going to turn it over to you, Liz. <laughs> OK, thank you, Pastor Paul. Happy to be here with you all. Uh, thank you, Pastor Henry and Pastor Way, for the opportunity for this time and space. And also, um, thank you, Bill Cork. We just uh, we we saw each other a few days ago. So, <laughs> my name is Elizabeth Marin. Um, I've been working at Shawnee Mission Advent Health Shawnee Mission in Kansas for the last two years. Uh, actually, June third. Uh, was my second year this year. So, uh, and I have the privilege and the honor of serving alongside with the intensive care unit nurses and uh, mother and baby and the cardiology unit at the hospital. Wow, 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 wow. That's, uh, that's a very special unit. I know that all of our, our folk out there who have ever been in that unit know um, how important that that is in the work that you do. So thank you. Thank you again for joining us today. All right. I think, uh, gentlemen, we are ready to, um, and by gentlemen, I mean my co-host here. We are ready to, uh, to hop in. Dr. Henry. All right. Well, let's, let's get started. Again, privileged to have both of you on. Uh, we know that, you know, we are in a time where this, this chaplaincy ministry is needed. A lot of people talk about chaplaincy. In fact, we mentioned the earthquake that has happened there in the Caribbean islands, especially Haiti and, and other places there. And I know that after the, um, the dust settles and everything, you know, chaplains will be needed. So I want to know, and we'll start off with you, uh, Pastor Cork, what, what's the definition or description of chaplaincy you know what is that what does that mean when we say chaplain well a a chaplain is a pastor who's serving in a specialized ministry that's the mm -hmm. simplest answer and that could be we have chaplains in lots of different settings uh we have chaplains in the military uh we have jorge torres in the chat he's a lieutenant colonel in the active duty army and he is the 
chaplain for the 1st Cavalry Division at Fort Hood, Texas, one of our outstanding leaders. We have chaplains in the U.S. Senate, a fellow named Barry Black, some of you may have heard of. We have healthcare chaplains like Dion and Liz, probably about 450, 500 of our 700 Seventh-day Adventist chaplains in North America are working in healthcare settings, whether Advent Health or non-Adventist hospitals or VA medical centers. Um, they may be in campus ministry, whether it is the, uh, whether they're the chaplains at our Adventist colleges or like uh, Chaplain Ron Paquel at University of California at Berkeley, who is our North American Division Coordinator for Public Campus Ministry. And Adventist Christian Fellowship. Uh, we have some who are working in law enforcement, including uh, local police departments like Sean Lee in the Minneapolis Police Department, who was very busy last summer, wow. um, or with other government agencies, including the FBI uh, and uh, corrections, Tyrone Boyd, uh, who's been a longtime prison chaplain. Um, so any one of these uh, specialized ministries, and some, some of these pastors have to have, all have to have a master's degree, uh, usually the master of divinity. Uh, healthcare chaplaincy, you have to have additional training called clinical pastoral education. Um, and then you need endorsement from the church, and that comes from Adventist chaplaincy ministries. But that's the simplest thing. It's a pastor who's specialized. Uh, you know, people sometimes tell me, oh, have you uh, left the ministry? Or they think wow. chaplains are people who washed out of ministry, thinking that pastoral ministry is all there is. But some Adventist pastors have congregations. Some Adventist pastors are evangelists. Mm -hmm. Some, like Dr. Mm -hmm. Bird, have TV programs. Uh, uh, and, and some are chaplains, different gifts. Mm. I want you, Pastor Marine. Um, Tell us, what does this chaplaincy mean to you? What And are there some myths, by the way, too, that we hear about chaplaincy? Yeah, so uh, just to kind of follow up on what uh, Chaplain Bill Cork just said, um, chaplaincy, first and foremost, we are pastors. And um, so most of the time when people ask me, especially in a healthcare setting, uh, who are you? Um, usually I introduce myself as a chaplain, but not many people are familiar with that word, chaplain. What is that? I mean, what do you guys do? And so I say, okay, I'm the pastor. I'm one of the pastors in the hospital. And uh, in fact, the word chaplain to me was introduced in 2010 when I became a theology major and that was during my sophomore year. And that was the very first time the word chaplain uh, was known to me because I, I never heard of it. So when I made the decision to accept the call into pastoral ministry, I thought this is, this is where I, this is where I identify because ministry, as we have been taught during the, when we do the clinical pastoral education, is a ministry of presence. Mm -hmm. And so prior to becoming, yeah. prior to becoming a theology student, I was, I was a biology major student because I was pursuing the medical career. And, but it was during my sophomore year when, when God showed me 
this is this is where I need you. And so I had this class um, called Hospital Ministry that uh, was taught uh, during during college for, for the theology students. And and I just fell in love with that because I thought, OK, what a great opportunity. So pastor hospital setting that is perfect for me, especially knowing where I, where I was coming from. So it simply just in, in those words, ministry of presence, being present mm-hmm. for people, being in the moment, being in the moment in that time and space for the other person who needs a spiritual support. I like that. Now, ministry of presence. Go ahead. Correct. Sorry. You, you mentioned, uh, you asked the word, what, what are some of the uh, myths? The myths. And, and yes. so, right. And so many times we think of chaplaincy as a less important in, in pastoral ministry. Okay. You did not get a call into a church district. So therefore now you serve as a chaplain. No, that's not what it is. Um, it is it is the same ministry. It is pastoral ministry, just in a different capacity, and um, and 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 this is one of the things that I hope uh, not only our pastors but also the entire body uh, of Christ, the church, gets familiar with what what chaplains do because it's it's beyond what what we are used to it. You're, you know, like just going to the church, preaching every week. Uh, doing evangelism and and so but but chaplaincy it's like I said uh, it's a ministry of presence and, and you have the opportunity where you become like a bridge between different groups of people and so one of the one of the uniqueness of chaplaincy is that you get to serve in a secular environment not just a faith-based environment, but you have even more opportunities to reach out in, in a secular context. So you get to preach to more than just the choir. Every <laughs> That's right. Yeah, wow. yeah. and that, uh, yeah. that idea of the, of the myths, uh, again, the, the, the biggest one is that we somehow left the ministry. Uh, in 2013, I spent the year in Kuwait uh, as a deployment with my National Guard unit. And while I was gone, one of the pastors in Houston was telling people that I had left the ministry, uh, meaning that I had abandoned the Adventist church. Uh, and he knew very well where I was and what I was doing. Um, and then after I got this job, uh, shortly after I came back, I went to a workers meeting and somebody said, does this mean you're back in the ministry? And I just looked at them. And uh, uh, said, you know, I never left. On the other hand, the number one question that I've gotten since I came back from that deployment, people didn't want to know what it was like being in the Middle East. People didn't want to know what we were doing. I mean, we were doing a lot of cool missions uh, uh, throughout the uh, Persian Gulf region. But they said, oh, I hear that there's no religious liberty in the military. I hear that chaplains can't preach uh, the full message or that they can't talk about Jesus. And whenever any of us hears that as military chaplains, we just kind of grit our teeth and take a deep breath and say, no, that's exactly why we're there, is to provide for the free exercise of religion for everybody. We don't push ours. But 
in my Adventist service that I had at Camp Beer in Kuwait every Sabbath, I preached the full Seventh-day Adventist message. Mm, when, wow. I, when I preached Powerful. in the general Protestant service, I preached what we had in common. Uh, if we preach the gospel service, we're going to be preaching what we have in common. If I'm doing a prayer for my whole unit that includes Christians and Muslims and Jews and Buddhists and atheists, I'm going to pray in a more inclusive way. But we're there not for ourselves, but to ensure that all the service members can exercise their First Amendment rights. And that's true of chaplains in uh, the prison. Uh, Barry Black, the U.S. Senate, he has 100 chaplains and all the staff that he's responsible to be pastor for while still being a committed Seventh-day Adventist pastor. Wow, that's awesome. Dr. Henry, I see in the chat, I don't know if this is all going to fit under here from, from Monty Newbill. It says, I was an Army chaplain assistant for 12.5 years. One myth that I heard was that chaplains can't preach. Uh, <laughs> he says they lie. The chaplain is a better preacher because they build relationships and they can speak to uh, the needs of the people. That's so good oh, uh, to hear. Wow! Uh, wow! Thank you. So, so, so listen. So, so this leads us to our next question. Um, you know, as I went through my training, uh, I learned what it took to be a pastor. All the things I got to deal with in terms of board meetings. Past, I had to visit members, I had to prepare sermons, I have to preach, I have to baptize, I have to evangelize, I have to uh, marry, I got to bury, I got all these things as a pastor in a local church. Is that the same thing for a chaplain? Well, let me say, it, it depends upon the setting. Uh, Liz can talk to the healthcare setting where you're not doing a lot of that as much. Um, Certainly for our active duty military chaplains, yeah, they're doing weddings. I, I did weddings for my uh, uh, soldiers in the National Guard, uh, often those who were not part of any church, but they came to me as their chaplain and said, would you do this? And recently I got to do the wedding for the daughter of somebody whose wedding I for one of my soldiers that I'd done 15 years before. So it's my first second generation wedding. I'm getting old. Um, <laughs> there's some things we don't do. We don't do, uh, because we're in an inclusive setting, in a public setting, we tend not to do the uh, traditional prophecy seminars. Um, we do evangelism more by the friendship evangelism and relationship. Do we do baptisms? Yes, I've got a picture of uh, one of our chaplains, uh, Yuli Mata'afa, who was deployed. He did baptisms in Saddam Hussein's swimming pool in one of his palaces uh, while uh, wow. during the uh, uh, Iraq war, during the initial uh, invasion. Um, but we don't have board meetings. Mm. We don't have people oh. arguing about what color the carpet is. Uh, oh. We don't have uh, somebody asking, okay, uh, how, how many baptisms did you do this year? How many evangelistic series did you do? Some of those things that wow, wow. Uh, congregational pastors uh, have some sometimes some expectations on. Um, <laughs> but, you know, and the fact that we're out there in the community serving people of all different faiths, uh, sometimes that means bringing in people uh, to minister to specific needs. I can't 
celebrate a mass. Uh, I can't do a Buddhist service. So I'd bring in the Buddhist chaplain or the Muslim chaplain or the Catholic priest uh, to make sure that soldiers were covered. Um, and building those relationships in the community uh, oh, so important to my role as a National Guard chaplain, uh, being out there in the veterans community, uh, being out there doing suicide intervention trainings, um, doing crisis intervention. I got called to help out after the Santa Fe High School shooting. I went to El Paso after the shooting there, did trainings in a number of the churches and was present uh, uh, for a lot of people in trauma there. Uh, so there's that basic thing, but the calling is different and the setting is different and the opportunities are just wide open for ministry. Mm. Listen, Elizabeth? I, I, I got to like say this, since George, George is on the screen, one of the other things, Pastor Wade, that, and you know, George has been on, on Pastor's Roundtable a couple of times mm -hmm. with us. Mm -hmm. um, and Bill, I don't, uh, George was a mm -hmm. classmate of mine in high school. Mm -hmm. um, but one thing that, that differentiates, George is a chaplain in the airborne. George jumps out of planes, y'all. He straps up and jumps out of airplanes. I don't know any pastors who do that kind of stuff. Yeah. Man. Well, not That's anymore. Hardcore. He's got to ride on horses, and his parachute doesn't work if he jumps off the horse. <laughs> uh, but, but George did say that we provide in the military religious support, uh, but also advise the commanders. That's an important thing, too that the chaplain is a member of the commander's team and advising the commander on issues of morale, morality, mm -hmm. uh, on issues of religion. Now, we're in uh, uh, Kuwait, and my commander is having to do interactions with uh, uh, military leaders of all different countries, uh, Jordan, Saudi Arabia, Kuwait, Qatar, uh, United Arab Emirates, and so on. And he's looking to me as somebody who taught world religions, help me understand how Islam is different in each of these countries and what do I need to know? Um, how does, uh, uh, in issues dealing with sexual assault, sexual harassment, uh, the issues of morale and morality, the chaplain is one of the key advisors to the commander mm. uh, along with the, the sergeant major. Um, and always have that open door as member of the uh, commander's team. Yeah, um, Chaplain Bill Cork mentioned about uh, how a pastor in a church setting, you know, you you do, uh, you you plan these board meetings, and and so, but also as chaplains, we have the opportunity to sit at board meetings, uh, not necessarily related to the church, but we have the opportunity to sit through committees such as the ethics committee, uh, or. Um, the diversity inclusion committee that we actually uh, started last year. And so, and for example, I'm, I'm a member of the ethics committee. And so every month we, we get together uh, physicians, nurses, social workers, um, neonatologists and surgeons, and, and, and of course the chaplain. We invite clergy from the community to be part of this ethics committee and and it's not about fixing things. It's not about uh, finding a quick solution. But we, we talk, we discuss uh, different cases that involve ethics. And, and so it's, it's just an interesting, um, a great opportunity to uh, relate with your interdisciplinary team uh, 
which is the medical staff and then the community and, and and you get to talk about this difficult cases and that involves ethics and and so but again it, it's not about finding solutions or quick fixes uh, mm-hmm. it's about having a conversation having a dialogue and hearing these different perspectives from from the expertise at, at the table so okay. yeah and that's uh, if i can say that's a, a really important thing that liz is talking about uh that idea of the interdisciplinary team i was introduced to that when i was in seminary a long long time ago and i was a chaplain candidate in the army reserve and i got to do clinical pastoral education at walter reed army medical center here i was 25 years old still in seminary second lieutenant, the lowest rank of anybody in our group. And I was chaplain for the neurosurgery and neurology ward, head injuries, uh, brain tumors, aneurysms. And I was part of these interdisciplinary teams with the surgeons, the social workers, the nurses, uh, the uh, uh, mental health folks, and all of us contributing to the care of each of those patients. And it amazed me that these other professionals had this respect for who I was and, and they wanted to hear my input and they were eager for it. Uh, and that was something I built upon. Uh, and over the years, I got asked to be part of the strategic planning for the Harris County Public Health Department here in Houston. They wanted to hear from faith-based voices alongside with education and industry and healthcare uh, because they see that all voices need to be heard as we look at how do we care for the health of an individual or the health of a community. Mm. I, I, I like what you said. Um, you brought up, I think you brought up CPE. I think you said something about CPE, this clinical pastoral education. Um, I, I don't know. Can we just dive into that a little bit? And, and what's that all about? What's this CPE all about? Let's go for it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. I'm, I guess I'm just going to go the short version because, I mean, clinical pastoral education, it's, it's a whole world uh, of um, tools and, and skills that, that you learn, that you develop as you continue to grow in your pastoral ministry. And let me hear me say this again. It's not a different uh, ministry. It is pastoral ministry mm. in, in a different context. And, and so we're first pastors, and of course, we are, we're chaplains. So uh, clinical pastoral education is, is basically the, one of the requirements to become a professional chaplain if, if you want to serve in, like Bill Cork mentioned, in, in all these different uh, capacities, military, correctional, education, healthcare, and so on. Um, and so it's, let me tell you, clinical pastoral education is, it's going to work you out. I mean, you're going to, you're going to, you're going to encounter yourself as you have never encountered yourself before. And you're going to wrestle with your emotions. You're going to wrestle with your identity, who you are, uh, where you're coming from, your, your, your theological background, and how all of that is integrated in who you are and where is your pastoral 
uh, formation? What is your pastoral authority? What is your pastoral competence? And, and so you integrate all these things. And of course, you, uh, you, you learn how to in, integrate the sociology and the ethics and, and the psychology and the theology at the same time. And you learn how to navigate with all those different uh, tools. But I want to say that one of the greatest gifts I've received from clinical pastoral education is the self-awareness, the self-awareness that you develop and, mm. and how, how you find yourself in, in the midst of all of that. So, so for instance, I, I, I saw a moment ago, somebody commented that you used to think of chaplaincy as people who um, spend lots of time with people dying and grieving, but, but clinical pastoral education, it, it gives you, it teaches you how to deal with crisis, how, how you become a, mm. um, how you deal with crisis intervention. Not everything is death. Not everything is loss and grieving. Uh, you welcome babies. You celebrate the birth of a child. Uh, you, you, you learn how to work together with, with a team and you learn to recognize what your limits are. And so you mm -hmm. find your resources you work with a social worker and, and, and you hear their feedback and you give your input as a pastor, as a chaplain. And so it, it's not just one thing. And, and this is where sometimes I, I, just, I just have to laugh uh, when people say, oh, so you just pray with, with patients. You just, chaplains just pray with people. Uh, yes, that's one of the many things we do, but that's not the only thing we do as chaplains. There are so many uh, responsibilities that, that we deal with than just prayer. Yes, prayer is important. And, and if, if people were, you know, if people came to me and asked me what is the key to, to succeed as a chaplain, of course, prayer is the number one thing. Uh, you cannot, I mean, there's no way you can survive and succeed in, in, in just in general, in pastoral ministry without prayer. Prayer has mm. to be at the core, at the center of your ministry. So mm. uh, that's what I, mean, I just had to say. Yeah, if I can just add a couple of things, uh, uh, the process of CPE is a little different. It's it, you start by doing visits uh, with patients and you write up a case study uh, about one of your interventions and you bring that to your peer group of your fellow students and your supervisor and you share that. What happened? What was the, going on with the patient? Uh, what did you do in talking with them? Where did it hook you? Where, where were you emotionally caught up? Where did you feel like you successfully uh, ministered? Where do you think you dropped the ball? And then you get feedback from all of your peers uh, that may be affirmation or it may be a little uh, brotherly and sisterly correction. I had one of mine throw a cup of water in my face uh, one day. <laughs> uh, so it, it's a process that really aims, as uh, Liz put it well, that really tries to integrate you know, who you are with your story, your baggage, uh, your theological education with what you're doing in ministry right now. 
Um, we only require it for healthcare chaplaincy, and for that, you have to have four units, which means a full, full year of clinical pastoral education. And it's offered by many of our Adventist hospitals, uh, by most major hospitals offer it, uh, including the VA. Um, but we encourage, and uh, as George put in the comments, we would encourage everybody to do it. And uh, we, our hope is that the seminary will make one unit of CPE a requirement for anybody seeking the Master of Divinity degree. Uh, most mainline seminaries do require it uh, and, okay. and see that as something that's critical to that ministry formation uh, before you get out into the church to help you really start putting all of these different things together that you're studying and experiencing. Um, Dion, he had a full year's worth or, or even more. Uh, so anything you want to add from your experiences? Well, let me tell you something. I was smiling when uh, Liz was talking about the CPE. And, and I would think the best, I mean, at least for me, the best definition of CPE is to, um, you know, you have to learn to be comfortable in an uncomfortable situation, right? So so that means um, you're, you're like they're challenging your theology. I mean, you know, when you talk about, um, you know, there are many different people of different faiths that come into the hospital. Some um, do not have a particular or they can't really name their faith and you're ministering to them. And the um, your your tendency is to treat them like one of your members, right? <laughs> so, but you can't do that because these are people from different faiths. You have to meet them where they are, and so that was a, a a great experience for me. But then something else too, when you talked about self awareness, I mean it's kind of like. Um, uh, having people, you know, we have these commentators on the NBA and, you know, they talk about LeBron, they talk about all these different people. It's kind of like having all of them in the room talking about you, <laughs> right? <laughs> talking about you. And they're picking you apart, man. They're picking you apart. I mean, they're just, you know, so uh, I had a, I, I want to say, I want to do a shout out to my supervisor because <laughs> he was leading this thing. And we had some rough moments. I'm going to tell you something right now. We had some rough moments, man, but I praise God for him. Uh, he is still one of my, my good. I just called him the other day uh, just to get some advice from him. But that's what it is, you know, and, and everything that was supposed to happen when they're going into you and really kind of um, evaluating you and, and, and challenging you, right? They'll challenge you, not just your theology, but the way you are, you know, by, by what you say. Wow. So they'll challenge you. One of the things about it is, you know, when you come out that room, I mean, everything stays in the room, right? So it's not like, uh, you know, this is a, you know, one of my friends, we have a, a running joke. It's in their airplane. It's in the airplane. So, you know, whatever we talk about, you know, it's kind of like just between myself and that person. And that's what CPE. So they're going to really challenge you. Um, you're going to come in and I, I don't, I'm not, a, you know, I don't want to spend too much time, but I'm telling you it, it they will chat. I believe I'm a better pastor because of CPE. I'm a better pastor because of CPE. Um, it, it, it humbles you and uh, it, it allows you to recognize that, you know what, there's a lot of things in me that need to be worked on. But as I'm working on it in the journey, I can still be effective. So uh, that's that's my take on CPE. So, 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 what, so what I'm hearing is that ch chaplaincy can be a complement to pastoral ministry. 
It's not necessarily oh. one or the other, because what you shared, some of the things I've heard in the story, what you were sharing, I was like, man, I wish I could do that. I wish I could get that. I, I wish. I, but, but, you know, when you think about, you know, when you were coming up and you say, you're going to be a pastor, th- there was no word about chaplaincy. There was no light that helps you to strengthen your pastoralness. Um, um, I mismade, I just made that word up uh, in terms hey, of good, <laughs> okay. chaplaincy. So, 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 so as I'm, so as I'm hearing now, I ask the question as if there is a, um, a, um, a versus pastors versus chaplain, but, but, but you sound like there is a compliment of pastors and chaplaincy. Uh, could you speak a little bit more? Because I think that may help to display some of the myths out there. I know we taught, we have touched on a couple of them, but speak to, speak to the pastors who are listening about the importance or the opportunity of chaplain work. Uh, let me say that uh, I was aware of chaplaincy early on when I was first starting to think of ministry as a student at Broadview Academy in Illinois back in 1977. Um, some of our listeners were not even born then. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, some of your hosts weren't even born then. <laughs> born then. Say it again, um, Rod. Say it again. Say it again. I was three years old. Then. <laughs> yeah. We had a chaplain come and talk to chapel, and his name was Dick Stenbachen. Uh, And he went on to be the director of Adventist Chaplaincy Ministries. Um, But this was two years after the draft ended. And so he wanted to talk about how young people should regard the military uh, now that it's volunteer. And in the course of his conversation, he mentioned army chaplains. And I'd been at public school in Rockford, Illinois, and been in ROTC, got to march like in Pathfinders and had fun. Mm -hmm. And so in a lot of family in my were military. And so I raised my hand and said, so how does one get to be an army chaplain? And Dick said, well, first you have to be a pastor. Then we have to pick you. Next question. Uh, And everybody laughed. Um, But fast forward, when I was a theology major at Atlantic Union College, uh, my practice professor, Tim Berry, uh, when he's talking about counseling, he used the uh, verbatim model of carrying, of talking about case studies in our class. And he told us about CPE and told us this is something that we should do. And it is something that any pastor can do. You can look at the the webpage acpe.edu that's the association of clinical pastoral education acpe.edu you can look for centers near you and you can search to see if it has an extended unit where instead of it mm-hmm. doing it full-time for three months you do it part-time over six months and instead of having to spend all your time at the hospital you can bring case studies from your pastoral ministry and use those for your discussion. And we've seen through uh, the past year pandemic that we can do this by Zoom. Um, So this is, and I was just talking with conference leaders in Kansas, Nebraska and central states this past week about how their pastors could do this. So that's one thing in terms of the training that we're talking about. But many of our chaplains are part-time. That's how I was when I got into the Army Reserve and the National Guard. Um, and I had a long break in service. 2009, I got back in to the Guard while I was pastoring in the Texas Conference. And one weekend a month, I would be with my unit. And 
I would use it. They understood that I had church responsibilities. So I would preach sometimes in uniform and then run uh, as soon as church was over, miss potluck uh, and run to my unit. Um, and I'd make up my hours during the week. Um, and then I would do my two week annual training in, in the summer. So we have a lot of pastors who are doing that part time, including Kevin Miller, who's president of the Alaska Conference. Ivan Williams, NAD director of the Ministerial Association. He just retired a couple of years ago as a lieutenant colonel in the Maryland Air National Guard. Uh, we have pastors who are serving as police chaplains. I mentioned Sean Lee in Minneapolis. He's full-time pastor of the Southview Church in Minneapolis, but also a pastor or a chaplain for the Minneapolis Police Department, which is a voluntary uh, position. Um, I mentioned other law enforcement and uh, uh, chaplains. Uh, Gary Council, who was our ACM director, he's a part-time chaplain at Dulles Airport and for his local sheriff's department and for the Secret Service. Um, what? All of these just, he's doing part-time as a retiree. Um, Claudio Consuegra, our NAD director of family ministries, is a police chaplain and the head chaplain for his county. So these are a number of examples of ways that pastors can be involved in chaplaincy, uh, not always getting paid, but they're making a difference in the community. They're building relationships in the community so that when tragedies happen, we get called upon. Uh, when we had the Santa Fe High School shooting, there were pastors who showed up saying, well, I'm a pastor. I'm here to help. Nobody knew who they were. So they may end up making sandwiches three miles away. <laughs> but I got called by the Galveston County Mental Health uh, Agency. A friend said, hey, I need veterans uh, who have training in critical incident stress management. Uh, can you get down here? An hour later, I was there. Um, so these are the opportunities that open up for pastors when you have these connections in the community. So, so Bill, Bill Cork, I, I'm glad you mentioned the word developing relationships because I think that's one of the, one of the things that as chaplains we, we do. So, um, and that's another thing that I, I guess um, makes pastoral ministry or pastor and chaplain a little different because as a pastor, your emphasis is evangelism, right? Which is important. And at the same time, um, relational emphasis, it is important. And, and so serving as a pastor and a chaplain, it, it gives you that opportunity to develop those relationships, like Bill Cork mentioned, relationships with not only within your faith uh, community, your community of faith, but also with other members of the communities uh, from different faith backgrounds, uh, from different uh, churches, religions. And, and so you develop these relationships and, and it just helps your ministry to continue to, to grow because you're learning from them as well. Wow. Now, if I can uh, jump to a question in the comments uh, from Chaplain Hill, and he's asking about how chaplains can uh, better assist local churches and conferences. And this is something uh, when I go out in the road that, that I emphasize, uh, as I mentioned this, just this past week, I was visiting chaplains. I saw Liz and her team at uh, uh, Shawnee Mission. I saw Juan Carlos uh, Castro at Fort Riley, Kansas. And I visited with uh, uh, two of our conferences. Uh, 
And I said, you know, here's how our chaplains can be assets to you, um, whether it is through CPE training. And Theo Stewart uh, does that at Hughley Hospital in Berlin, Burleson uh, here in Texas as one example. And of course, the whole Advent Health system has those opportunities. Um, but we can also come out and our CPE educators could do small intensives for pastors groups or for conference workers meetings. I do suicide intervention training. I did that uh, for the Army. Um, and uh, I went on, I'm doing my Master of Public Health now in health promotion and health education. And my focus has really been on suicide prevention. And I've done those trainings for, uh, uh, I've done it for the uh, Minnesota conference, for NAD, did one for the GC virtual camp meeting uh, this summer. We have chaplains uh, who have expertise in grief, like uh, Cedric McIntosh and Maggie Compton uh, uh, have that as their specialization. Others who have specialization in trauma. In the military, chaplains can go on and get additional specialized training. Fort Hood has a center for family life ministry where chaplains can go and get a master's in marriage and family therapy uh, and then become licensed marriage and family therapists. And those are connections that uh, I was at Fort Hood and I connected uh, uh, Jorge Torres with uh, Sergio Silva, the head of our Adventist chaplain right outside of our Adventist hospital, the head chaplain at uh, Advent Health Central Texas and said, hey, you guys need to uh, get to know each other and the different resources and connect with the pastors in Colleen and Temple uh, uh, to build these networks. Uh, so I say to the conference presidents, the ministerial directors, don't look at us as those people out there or competition, but as additional resources who are here to support the Adventist pastors. I, I need to I need to speak up. Um, uh, Bill, you came to the youth ministries um, mm -hmm. training or meetings that we had at the Mid-America Union, and you shared with our youth directors on resources that can help young people and even help them on to challenge their young people about making decisions about going into the military. Mm -hmm. So uh, the the chaplains, the military chaplains, that's one thing. Even the healthcare chaplains um, have an opportunity to come in and help with ministry and not just be out there. They can be a serious part of your local church ministry, um, mm -hmm. you know, in the local church uh, setting. Good stuff. Well, listen, I want to flip the page here for, for, for a second. Um, and I, you know, we, the world is in a, in a moment that is something that we have not seen in our lifetime when it comes to this pandemic. And so one of the questions that we wanted to throw, and we'll start with Liz, if there's uh, something that you can, can share on this. Um, but what are some of the needs that you feel that during this pandemic, that chaplaincy has been um, there to be able to address, um, um, or that has been equipped, well-equipped to be able to address, particularly during um, a time like we have seen over the past 18 months? Yes, so thank you for this question. I think this is really big right now because, uh, like I mentioned when, when we started this conversation, I, I have the honor and the privilege of serving and, and working together with these uh, nurses and, and physicians in the intensive care units. And 
the the need the need is is to be present for these people for this for these men and women who day and night they are caring for our loved ones for for our, our patients our families and so um as all of you are aware that uh, we are back to uh, some restrictions again where only one visitor is allowed uh, well I'm, I'm speaking here uh, at Shawnee Mission uh, the hospital we 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 just kind of went back to where we were uh, last year because the the numbers are just uh, spiking again and so so the limitations, for the loved ones to be present with the patients. So guess what? We get to be the ones who come into those rooms, in those isolation rooms where, where there are people who, who, who um, have the virus, people that are COVID positive, and, and they request a chaplain. They want a pastor to be with them, to hold their hand. Yes, I hold their hands carefully, but I do. I, I wear the the protective uh, equipment, which we call it the PPE. Um, we, we wear gloves and, and gowns and, and face shields and, and all this gear that, that, we, that we get in order to go into those rooms. And we pray with them. I've had the opportunity to pray with so many of the COVID-19 patients who were isolated from, from their loved ones. Uh, in fact, uh, there was this um, particular patient um, last year where uh, there was no family at all in town. And, and the last request of this particular patient was, can you stay with me till I die? Wow. Wow. And, and wow. I, I stayed and that person, that's on the pain side and the family as well. But the staff, I mean, I, I, I see these people every day, day and night, because when I'm on call, I sometimes in the middle of the night, I round the units. I walk sometimes like at two, three in the morning, I go to the units. And some of these guys, they're tired and they want to be listened. They want someone to listen to them, to their frustrations, to their anger, to their sadness and and so and and I listen to all these emotions that they are expressing um, some of them were having difficult times because they they had not seen their loved ones and and they just live across the street there was this nurse in particular who whose uh, grandchildren live just literally across the street from where this nurse lives and has not been able to see them because the fear of passing the the virus or you know just just the fear that is out there of giving it to to some of your loved ones and so so yeah this is these are some of the ways how we have been ministering to during this pandemic during these difficult times with covid patients families uh, the staff, all the team, the team members of the hospital, uh, people from housekeeping, people from nutrition services, the technicians, the surgeons, the physicians, the nurses, 
I mean, just everyone, the volunteers. We have a tremendous group of volunteers at the hospital as well. And, and so it, it's just been difficult, difficult right now for, for so many of them. And they're carrying a lot to work. I mean, th there's, there's a lot going on in, in our staff members. So one of the frustrating things for me over the past year and a half of this pandemic was not being able to travel not being able to go out and visit our chaplains as they were uh, going through all of this. My last meeting before the pandemic was visiting uh, Roger with that group of youth and young adult ministers from the Mid-America Union. And then I came home from that trip and everything shut down. And uh, on August 1st, we uh, lifted our travel moratorium. Along the way, I got to go out and do some special visits, uh, uh, but uh, now I'm back to visiting. And my first thing that I wanted to do is get out and see those who've been doing so much during this pandemic. I, when I saw uh, Jackie and Alan Mitchell are watching and uh, uh, they're in New Orleans and Alan is at the Children's Hospital that was in the news lately because of all the numbers of children with COVID who are back in the ICUs. Um, our ICUs here in Houston are filling up, including at our children's hospitals and up in the Dallas area. Um, I was so grateful to be able to be at Shawnee Mission. Uh, David Kennedy is the uh, director of the uh, spiritual care. O'Donovan Yard is the senior chaplain. And Liz is on staff there. And Liz gave me a tour of the hospital and introduced me to many of these people that she's mentioned, uh, the charge nurses, the uh, the janitors, in some cases, the staff, all of these people that she ministered to. And I heard from both her and I heard from them. Uh, and the pain, the grief, the anger, uh, especially that here we are again at something that is so preventable if people just get vaccinated and wear masks and take these precautions. And we at Seventh-day Adventists believe in vaccines. We have an official statement saying that, as we believe in this, uh, uh, our hospitals have been overwhelmed caring for patients and using evidence-based therapies mm -hmm. to do so. Um, and so for our chaplains, for our healthcare workers to hear the conspiracies, the lies, the uh, uh, the misstatements, the fears, uh, is demoralizing to them. Um, and, uh, uh, and, and to see children coming back into these ICUs uh, is just grief, uh, uh, adding on the grief and what we call moral injury, the feelings of guilt that they didn't do enough. And that's where um, my concern is the care of our uh, of our chaplains, and it's not just affecting our healthcare chaplains. Our campus chaplains have had to adjust. Our military chaplains have still had to go to combat uh, uh, and adjusting uh, how they train and uh, how they deploy to mitigate uh, the threat of COVID. It is affecting all of us, and the long term soul injury to those who care. Uh, is going to be the long-term thing that we need to say, how, how are we going to do this? How are we going to deal with this? How are we going to bring long-term healing to those who are hurting from their love for others? Wow. 
Stuff. No, this is this is this is this is uh, needed a needed conversation in a pandemic. I know we only have a few minutes left, but I, I just got to ask this question here. Um, you know, last year, especially last year, you know, we were actually in the and you know, I I think we could say the height of the pandemic last year. Although here in Florida, um, it's really tough over here. But just for the sake of uh, this question, last year. A lot of places were shut down, and then we had this social injustice um, that was heightened um, by you know the videos and, and what we've seen on TV. And I want to know, you know, with the the, the deaths of all of uh, Amon Aubrey and uh, Brianna Taylor and, and George Floyd, in your experience, has chaplaincy been has chaplaincy been able to address matters like this, address matters of of victims of social injustice and what they've experienced. Yeah, yeah, we, we, we have to, uh, because we are pastors to our community and we feel the hurts of our communities if we're living and walking alongside. Um, I live in Houston, uh, and this is the home. Uh, this is where George Floyd was raised uh, and went to school. Um, and we had a march here in Houston with 66,000 people uh, uh, together with the Floyd family, uh, and with our mayor, with our representatives, uh, with, uh, our government leaders, with our police department, uh, leaders, Art Acevedo, our police chief, who's very, uh, uh, concerned about, uh, issues of social justice as well. And we had 200 pastors who met ahead of time and then joined and were taken up in this, this throng, uh, we had a march at the Texas Medical Center, white coats for black lives, and thousands of us who are students and faculty and staff of the many different schools of the Texas Medical Center, which is the world's largest center of medical education. Uh, we were out there uh, uh, to, again, tell the community that healthcare is about, has to include issues of justice. Last summer, uh, the NAD Health Ministries has a health Sabbath every year, and uh, uh, they provide materials. And Dr. David Williams, who is uh, one of the most esteemed uh, sociologists of religion uh, with an expertise in uh, African-American community and professor of public health at the Harvard University School of Public Health and a Seventh-day Adventist, he wrote the materials for that health Sabbath. And if you didn't use them last summer, go back to the web page and look at ways to use them in your church this summer. Um, because when we look at it from a public health perspective, we see all these things in the community that influence our health, um, whether it's the environment, whether it's issues of justice, whether it's what's in our neighborhoods, what kind of food do we have available. Here in the South, the impact of segregation and where the lines were drawn and where the schools are and where the hospitals are is readily apparent when you look at any map. And all of these things affect the health of our communities. And to speak for health is to speak for justice. Um, wow. Amen. Even for our military chaplains, uh, the, the former uh, uh, Army regulation on chaplain activities uh, used to say that chaplains are called to speak prophetically mm. and can speak with a prophetic voice and confront sexual assault and racism and discrimination as they see it. Wow. Uh, places like Fort Hood have had been in the news for sexual assault and murder. Um, and chaplains there need to stand for what's right and speak up. And uh, mm -hmm. uh, 
And think of our chaplains like Barry Black, who had to hide with his senators yeah. and staff, and Margaret Kibben, wow. who was also a Navy chief of chaplains. Her first day was like January 4th. And uh, uh, she had to be there as chaplain present with the members of the House of Representatives. We had Chaplain Sean Lee, I mentioned, who is both pastor of the Southview Church and a chaplain to the Minneapolis Police Department. And he had to walk that line where he's having to pay pastoral care to the police mm -hmm. while also his members Mercy. are out there on the line protesting. Mercy. And that's mm. the role that chaplains play. We're often in the middle. We're often uh, uh, walking that line, trying to reach out to both. But we have to, like Jesus, say, the spirit of the Lord is upon me who has called me to preach good news to the poor and deliverance to the captives. I've been wanting to play this all day long. Listen, listen, listen. Not only, not only did Pastor Sean Lee support um, the city and the, the members, when the young people of the Minneapolis of the Minnesota Conference and the Mid-American Union and Lake Union decided to do an activity um, one Sabbath afternoon. They didn't just do um, a protest. They actually went and served the community. Mm -hmm. Pastor Sean Lee was mm -hmm. very much on the front lines with us. He helped us. Um, even when some churches said, no, we shouldn't be out there, Pastor Lee was out in front with us with a number of other pastors and other chaplains wow. who were there on the streets with us. So I want to really shout out Pastor Lee um, and his chaplain ministry that he does there in the uh, con in the Minnesota conference and in the city of Minneapolis. So yeah, one of the things that we do, I'm sorry, uh, that we... No, no, no. I, I want you to, to, to share what you have to share and then I'll, I'll come in after. Okay, no, just really quick. So uh, one of the things that we did in at the hospital throughout Advent Health, we kind of, uh, we did a virtual and then in, in, in our chapel that we have here at the hospital, we invited the staff. Uh, of course, not everyone was able to attend because of the space limit at the chapel, but we all knelt uh, in chapel. We prayed um, after what happened with uh, George Floyd. And, and then also we, we have this council, the, the diversity, equality, uh, inclusion uh, council, where we we talk about this these things uh, of like ethnic discrimination and all these things and and so some of our staff members have experienced that from the patients like we have uh, black doctors who who have been um, discriminated in in the room I mean the patient mm -hmm. is receiving care from their doctor and yet they. Uh, they, they're discriminating and, and, and they're uh, very disrespectful. And it, it is unacceptable because here we have our doctors, nurses, and, and the rest of the team, the, the rest of the staff uh, caring for these patients, you know, caring with compassion, with love. Uh, and, and yet that's what some of our staff members receive in return, you know, this, this discrimination. And um, like when, when I was doing my residency, my, the clinical pastoral education and at a different hospital, uh, in two occasions, I, I felt I was discriminated because I was Hispanic. I mean, th these things are, are, are real. They're happening everywhere. And, and what makes me sad is sometimes we, we kind of 
why do we have to wait to these things happen mm -hmm. so that we take action? Like, yeah. how many people have to die? What other uh, tragedies do we have to witness so that we, as the body of Christ, I'm not speaking just as a chaplain here, I'm speaking as a member of the body of Christ because we are mm -hmm. Christians. How do we respond to these situations? It is unacceptable. We have a responsibility as, as, as sons and daughters of, of, of the King of Kings to, to respond and, and to uh, do something for, for our communities. We have to do something. Wow, that's awesome. Listen, um, um, Pastor Paul, if you can scroll back up and put back up uh, Claude Hardcastle II, he had an mm. awesome question. I, yes, I think it's better than what I have to ask. Um, his question yeah. said, with chaplaincy being so specialized, is it advisable for chaplains to explore transitioning between disciplines such as hospitals to educational or law enforcement to military, or can they serve in multiple areas? Can you speak a little bit about that? Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, the, some chaplains do. Uh, uh, and our ACM staff, most of us have served in more than one area of chaplaincy. I mentioned I've done both public campus ministry and uh, uh, Army Reserve National Guard. Uh, I've taught in a prison. I've done CPE. Uh, my boss, Paul Anderson, was both a uh, Navy chaplain, a career chaplain, but he was also a healthcare chaplain, and he was uh, uh, the senior chaplain for a, a military hospital. Uh, Washington Johnson uh, has had an esteemed uh, track record uh, in publishing as editor of Message Magazine, now a captain in the Navy Reserve as well. Um, so uh, uh, sometimes you can do a couple at once, being uh, in like a police department uh, mm. and uh, uh, in uh, campus ministry, Sean Lee was doing both. He was uh, he's an endorsed campus chaplain as well as uh, an endorsed police chaplain. Um, and uh, Gary Council, I mentioned, who's done at the same time airports, air, air, airport chaplaincy at Dulles and mm -hmm. police chaplaincy. Uh, but for our own well-being, we ought to make sure that we don't get uh, to uh, st stretch too thin in our ministry because chaplaincy is uh, can be tough because you're dealing with life and death issues. Uh, um, you're dealing with things that the average pastor may see once in a lifetime, if ever. You know, I've had to deal with as many as six suicides in a week in a National Guard unit. Um, and wow. some pastors wow. go wow. a lifetime without uh, ever ministering to somebody uh, that's thought about it. I've had two shootings that I've uh, 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 followed up with. Um, and those are things most pastors uh, uh, will, will, will never see. Um, uh, and on the one time, on the one hand, you as a chaplain know and can see right away the difference that you're making in these life and death settings. But on the other hand, there's it drains you and it exhausts you and there's mm -hmm. compassion fatigue. So we have to take extra care. How do we take care of ourselves? And that's something else that we as chaplains can offer to conferences and local pastors. Uh, uh, how do you take care of yourself? How do you uh, 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 
maintain your own well-being physical fitness uh, george mentioned in the comments that one of the other differences is every military chaplain has <laughs> yeah, to take a that. physical fitness <laughs> test every year yeah. uh, weight and weight uh, uh, uh <laughs> limits and uh Boy, uh, uh, you got to be out there, and uh, uh, they just made it tougher. Uh, so uh, uh, that's part of it. But we all learn that that's part of wellness, and that's part of what we as Adventists bring um, mm-hmm. uh, is that sense of that holistic health that we can bring. But, uh, yeah, uh, uh, whatever avenues open for you, Claude, uh, do it. If you want to talk to me offline or, or one of the others about uh, ways that you can serve or where your passions are going, I'd like to see more cross-fertilization. I'd like to see some of our chaplains of, at our Adventist universities become chaplains at public universities and vice versa. Uh, 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 we have uh, Dillis Brooks, who's the head chaplain at Loma Linda. She uh completed her requirements for healthcare chaplaincy, completed a CPE residency, uh, as did Steve Carlson, our chaplain at Kettering College. Uh, He also did. So uh, here are some of our chaplains who are going that extra mile and as part of their own growth and continuing education saying, I need that, especially if I'm chaplain for a medical school. Uh, It would be helpful for me to have that training to be a healthcare chaplain as well. So there's a few examples. Awesome. Awesome. Let, let me ask this. Let me ask this follow up question. Do you have to, do you have to start out in ministry? What if it's a member in the church to do the CPE? Uh, do they have to have some kind of pastor in um, CPE in, in many places? They will open it up to uh, to lay people. You know, my group included uh, two uh, two women who uh, uh, one was in seminary, one was the wife of a colonel, uh, but uh, was a she was a lay chaplain for the Catholic Church at Walter Reed. Um, so there can be that, but to be a professional chaplain requires, in most cases, the MDiv uh, mm-hmm. and two years of pastoral experience, as well as endorsement mm-hmm. for us. Now we do have a little. Uh, flexibility uh, that if somebody has not had the two years of full-time pastoral experience, we have what we call a memorandum of understanding and agreement, which is a checklist that uh, the person can go over together with their pastor and a conference representative, and over the course of a couple of years, show that they've done the that they've achieved the equivalent competencies that they've done weddings and funerals and board meetings and nominating committees and evangelism liz did that uh since she had not been a congregational pastor uh but that's the kind of the starting point listen it has been rich what we've heard today um about chaplaincy i i know um if our viewers are true to themselves they would have to say wow we did not know this and that's what we here at the pastors roundtable are excited about bringing in relevant information that helps the local ministry at the local church because that's where it happens and so uh, bill thank you so much elizabeth liz thank you so much for joining us today before we leave we're going to give each of you just one more opportunity what would you like our our viewers to know about chaplaincy as we wrap up here today 
Uh, let's go with Elizabeth. Share with us what's that la what one thing you would like to share with our viewers? Yeah, so um, I would like to invite you to. I, I don't know how many of you have access to the Adventist Review magazine. Um, August of 2019, there was an article written by uh, Chaplain Mario Ceballos, who is the president of the Adventist Chaplains and Ministries at the conference, at the general conference of uh, Seventh-day Adventists. And, and I think it's a, a wonderful article that he wrote about the chaplains, who are chaplains, uh, what is a chaplain. And so if, if, maybe, if maybe some of you uh, were not able to join this call earlier and, and you want to find out more, uh, that could be a, a good resource, you know, just, just to read uh, about what, what chaplaincy is. And, um, and, and, you know, I think chaplaincy, not, not, not just for chaplaincy, but I think this is a good opportunity to expand our horizons in pastoral mm -hmm. ministry. There are so many, many uh, opportunities to serve as, as ministers of the gospel. And um, like, like Chaplain Bill Cork uh, said, that there are so many areas. I mean, it, it is almost like limitless. I mean, there are so many aspects of chaplaincy that you, that you can explore. But I would like to, I would probably start with what your passions, what, what your passion is. And, and mm -hmm. so uh, you got to love people. That's, that's, I mean, that's for sure. You got to love people uh, right. in order to, to continue in, in pastoral ministry, whether you, whether you pursue chaplaincy or not. You, you gotta love people as God loves us and and just remember to to depend on Christ and and prayer at the core of of your personal life uh, your ministry like Liz I'd refer uh, you first to the general conference webpage adventistchaplains.org uh, and if you click on resources you'll find two magazines that we produce one called the Adventist Chaplain, which tells the stories and has resources for chaplains, and the others for God and Country, which is for members of uh, uh, the military, law uh, enforcement, firefighters, uh, people in government work, those two publications. Chaplaincy is worldwide. Mario oversees all, how is it, 12 divisions. We have military chaplains, and I think it's 10 countries now around the world. And we have CPE growing in South America, in Africa. Uh, we have campus ministry around the world, public campus ministry. So it's not just something American. And you should know that if you are going into the hospital, there will be chaplains there for your spiritual care. Yes. If your son or daughter or child is going into the military, there will be chaplains there when they go to uh, their basic training. And as they go through their career, there will always be chaplains. Uh, uh, and if they uh, have needs as a Seventh-day Adventist, they can talk to their chaplain about religious accommodation. Um, if we have friends and loved ones who go into prison, we are there as Christ mm -hmm. called us to, uh, to be there alongside those uh, who are paying that debt. 
Um, we are the presence of Christ, the presence of the church in the world. Pray for us. I love it. I love it. Well, listen again. Uh, thank you so much, uh, William Cork, Elizabeth Marine, for being with us today. Uh, I, listen, I think our viewers understand that chaplaincy is a viable ministry. Amen. It's a different form Amen. of pastoral ministry yeah. from the congregational uh, church setting, but it is a viable ministry. Yeah.